not really stuck on titles at all. I am have, have been Travis when I came here. I will be Travis once I leave here. But there is many people who are stuck on titles. Um, and certainly in Christian groups, many people use self-proclaimed titles like prophetess or apostle. And these titles inflate their reputation and ego as well. Uh, these This reception is far from who Anna was. Anna was a woman of grace. In fact, grace is the meaning of her name. She was a remarkable uh, woman who was a prophetess, a widower, a true worship of God and an evangelist. And this is what we see in this text. As you can glance down at verse 36, and just to add a footnote, I may just rehash uh, some material from last time and or just repeat some material for this time just to uh, get, get the idea across. But in verse 36, we see that Luke writes that she was a prophetess. That she was a prophetess. Now, there are certain views uh, that people have about this word that Anna in particular was a prophetess. One of the views is that she was only called a prophetess, um, that since she was a woman uh, who taught the word of God to other women, they gave her the title prophetess. And there is some biblical warrant um, evidence for that as well. If you, In Revelation chapter 2, verse 20, uh, when Jesus said Jezebel, who called herself a prophetess, although that was in a different light, uh, if you compare that to Anna. But Anna here, I think when we think about Anna, when Luke says that she was a prophetess, it's in, in, the, it's in the spirit or in the light of what Luke has already written down. He already talked about many people prophesying about the coming of Christ. For example, we know of uh, Zechariah, that God the Holy Spirit moved upon Zechariah, and he prophesied about the coming of Christ. John the Baptist, when he begins his earthly ministry, will prophesy about the coming of Christ. We know of uh, Elizabeth, when Mary visited uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth said, that she, how, and if you go back to uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 39, and read on down, it says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth, verse 31, I mean 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, and why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So you have Elizabeth, you have Mary herself prophesying about the coming of Christ. 
so forth, you have the shepherds who went out and told that the Christ arrived. Now, as we have learned last time, we learned about Simeon. As Simeon blessed, gave a blessing and utterance of who that baby was, that he is the Lord's Christ, that is the Messiah. Because Simeon was upon uh, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So when we come here to uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 36, we see that Anna too was a prophetess. Now, I take the latter part of this word and say, in the sense that she was prophesying to other women, prophesying that the Lord will come, because in verse 38, she was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She was waiting for Jerusalem to be redeemed. So Luke is drawing our attention to this widow woman. So all of this was corroborated testimonies about Christ himself. In the grand scheme of things, everybody is giving a testimony of who Christ is. And this is what Anna was doing. Now, in terms of Anna, and I, I in particular want to speak to uh, my widows. If you are a widow, I want to encourage you. I want you to know that you are not just a widow. You are the Lord's widow. That you have a particular place in the Lord's heart. And that is why I titled this sermon, The Lord's Widow. Because God have a special place for all widows. Anna was a remarkable woman. She was a, a remarkable woman, as we can see in, in the same verse, in verse 36, that her husband died, which made her to become a widow. We only can imagine what occurred, what happened to her husband. But in that since she faced some kind of tragedy or some kind of trauma of losing her spouse. In the first century B.C., if in particular for women, if you were a widow and didn't have any kids, you were poverty-stricken. You, as a widow, had to live on the basic means that you were given. Like, even today, you know, my mom, she is not married, so she depends on her or on her kids. And any time that she calls me or my brothers for something, we are there to provide for my mom. It was similar, it was just similar to 
uh, just like that in the first century. That when you were a widow and didn't have any boys, didn't have any children, you were poverty and poverty as well. And this is why Luke, I'm not Luke, but Paul, says what he says. If you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3, I want you to get an idea of how it is or how it was for a person to be a widow in biblical times. 1 Timothy chapter 2, I mean chapter 5, verse 3. All right. It says, and we're going to jump to more passages in First Timothy, same chapter. In fact, let's read First uh, Timothy chapter five, starting in verse one. I do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. All right, let's continue to read verse 4. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. Verse 5. She is truly a widow, left alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Continue with supplications and prayers night and day. This is what Anna was doing. As many of y'all have already read the text and just to Go back and forth between Luke chapter 2 and 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 5. In Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 37, it says this about Anna. And then she, as a widow, until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. This was a woman who had her mind and heart set upon God. Fasting in the in the Christian community is an exercise that we do not practice. You know, fasting within itself has no value. People can fast all the time. Non-religious people fast. They fast maybe to lose weight. People who are religious, they may fast to deny themselves, but that's only temporary things. But the Christian fast that is accompanied with prayer, it's not about losing weight. It's not about just to be religious or ritual. You're denying yourself because your heart and your you want to set your heart and your mind upon God. 
That is the uh, objective. That is the goal. You're doing it not be- to not just to to for healthy reason. You're doing it to love for for the love of God and the sake of for the glorification of God. I don't know. Here's my little confession. I barely remember the last time I fast. Because I haven't denied myself to set my heart upon God. I haven't done that frequently. But here is a elderly woman who may have been in her may have been 104 or 105, depending on how you read the text, because in Luke chapter 2, verse uh, 37, the Greek word is ambiguous. It's, it's, it, does, it either leads to, if you read Luke chapter 2, verse 37, it says, and then as she was a widow until uh, she was 84. Uh, the, that, the Greek term for that? is ambiguous. We is either saying that she was a widow for 84 years or she lived with her husband and she was a widow and her age is 84. But either way, here's an elderly woman who was disciplined, who set her mind and heart upon God. Maybe uh, many of you can teach me how to be disciplined. Maybe you need to be disciplined yourself. But here, Anna had her mind upon God himself. And I, I think this has to be said, right? In terms of her husband dying, it gave her more reason, reasons to set her mind upon God. Turn to First uh, Corinthians chapter seven. First Corinthians chapter seven, and look at verses. 32 through 35. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 32 through 35 says, I want you to be free from anxieties. This is Paul talking. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and the interests are divided. The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. 
Uh, the Senate would ask me, is it wrong to marry? Of course it's not. I wholeheartedly love my wife. I would not trade her up for anything until she gets on my nerves. I'm teasing. <laughs> I'm teasing. But it's not wrong to marry. Not wrong to have a house. What Paul is making the case is that you're, if when you marry, you have a natural desire to please your spouse. And since you have that natural desire to please your spouse, your, 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 your devotion, your priorities will be divided. But when Anna turned, uh, became a widow, it's not that she didn't love her husband. It's just give her more the reason to love her God. And this is what we see. A couple more verses. Uh, turn back to First Timothy chapter 5, verse 9. First Timothy chapter five, verse nine says, let a widow be in a role if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. And the point of this, uh, I want you to, to realize that since God cares for his widows, the church ought to care for widows. Since this is in the heart of God himself to care, the church should be mindful of our widows. Amen? Amen. Turn back to Luke chapter 2. As it says again in Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 38, and there was a prophetess Anna, the daughter of Aniel, of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and with prayer night and day. Small application. I have already repeated numerous times. Are we practicing this discipline? Are we praying on a frequent basis? Are we setting our minds and our hearts upon God? Is your mind wandering? Is your priorities divided? As it says in Luke chapter 18, verse 1 through 8, you can bookmark it if you like or just uh, listen as I read the text. And he told them a parable to this, to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. 
He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in a city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because the widow keeps bothering me, I would give her justice so that she will not beat me down with her continual coming. As the Lord said, hear what the righteous judge says. And will not God give justice to to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth. Beloved, I want you to compare yourself to Edward. Her faithfulness, her desire to wait for the uh, coming of the Messiah, how long she prayed to see that baby And finally, her moment arrived. See, if you remember, this is the same scene that we learned about with Simeon. Joseph and Mary went up to present Jesus um, to the temple. Simeon came around the same time because he was prompted by the Holy Spirit. They did not know Simeon. Joseph and Mary did not, uh, Simeon did not know them. So imagine this group of people, Joseph, Mary, Simeon, and Anna, all in one place, learning about this baby. And this is what it says in, in verse 38. And the coming up at that very hour, the same hour when Joseph and Mary and Simeon was together having a conversation. Anna was an earshot away from their conversation. At that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak him to all. Her prayers answered. play on her name she God was gracious upon her she fasted she prayed night and day she didn't depart from the temple she wasn't just religious she wasn't just spiritual she was righteous and devout She began to give thanks. Why? Because she overheard the conversation of the coming Messiah. She saw Jesus. But I want you to catch this phrase in verse 38. That she was giving thanks to God and to speak 
to him, I mean, speak of him to all. Does it say some? Does it say few? It says all. She was speaking to everyone. Now, as many of you know, I'm a stoic guy. I don't, you're not going to see me jumping up and down. My charisma is very low. <laughs> but this gets me excited. When was the first time you heard about Christ? Receive him in your heart. And then you proclaim Christ to everyone else. This is what Anna was doing. She couldn't contain herself about this good news. Because redemption arrived. And she saw it with her own eyes. She gave thanks and she speaks of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Redemption of Jerusalem. You know, there there is a difference between Elizabeth, uh, Zechariah, Joseph, and Mary. There's a difference between the shepherds and uh, Simeon and Anna. Those, those group of people, those persons, were different from the rest of Jerusalem. They were the small remnant of gods who were waiting for, for the coming of the Messiah. The rest of Israel thought of the Messiah in a different lens. They thought that they could control the Messiah, that the Messiah was a hero, a heroic figure who was going to conquer and subdue Rome. And since Jesus himself didn't play into their role, they crucified him. And just a footnote that I pass over a little bit, jump back up to verse 37 when it says, and that she did not depart from the temple. She did not depart from the temple. You know, whenever a friend of mine tells me that I can't, he didn't make it to the church, I, I don't bash him. I'm not hard on him. Because in my mind, coming to church is not, it's not entirely a sin unless you totally neglect the fellowship of the saints. Because the church itself is not a building. And for her, not departing from the temple wasn't just going to a building. It was going to where the Lord was. As Psalms 84 verse 10 says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. 
I will rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. The temple wasn't a building for her. It was in her heart. And as we come to close, jump back down to verse 38. And she was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So here she heard Christ. She heard the blessing that Simeon gave. She gave thanks to God and, and proclaimed to everyone that the arrival of the Messiah was here. It is now. It is present. And she knew that Jerusalem will be redeemed. As it says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, How much more will the blood of Christ, who though the eternal spirit offer himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works, serve the living God. Again, let me repeat that. How much more will the blood of Christ, who though the eternal spirit of himself offer himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I want you to listen very carefully. There are sheep, there are goats just like it was for in Israel. It was a small remnant of Israel who truly believed in God. And you had your Pharisees. There are Christians, and there are those who profess to be Christians. You know you are a true believer. When you hold dear the salvation that God has provided for us. Redemption is not just about the physical body. It's about the eternal life with Christ. And if you feel that your conscience is not cleared, if you feel that you have guilt upon your heart and you are not justified before God, then you are not a part of the church. You're not a part of God's elect. But if you are justified, just as was Anna and Simeon, that they were righteous and devout, then you are God's elect. And your conscience is clear. You can stand before God right, if you die right now and you stand before God right now, and you are in Christ, he would deem you justified because you believe in him and his son. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for everything, uh, for what you have given us, which is the perfect gift and that is your son, Jesus Christ. We ask that for those who do not know him, 
on a personal level, we pray that you will uh, convict their hearts, liberate their will to, to trust in your son. And for those who are in Christ, we pray that you will continue to help us not to practice dead works, not to be like the dog that goes back to his own vomit after throwing it up, but to be like Anna, to be like Simeon, who are righteous and devout people, who are justified before your eyes and devout, not because of religious reasons, but because they have a cautious fear of you. And we thank you. And as the ushers come up to receive the offering, we pray you will bless what will be given and bless those who will give. And as it has been said here at this church plenty of times, God does not have a bank account. He does not need your money. If you need to do something financially, then be responsible in doing that. But if you have a desire to give and give cheerfully, then do that too. So, Lord, we pray that you will bless what we would give. And I pray this in your son's name. Amen.